Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered Podcast. Your host, Olivia, here today, and we are talking about motherhood. Not just the simple, like, okay, I'm a mom, like, you know, let me have kids. It's all crazy. We're going to talk about some somatic release and neuroplasticity with a master certified parent and empowerment coach, Nicole Heady. She has a deep heart for the potential that is being repressed within the feminine. She's originally from South Africa, but she currently lives in Hawaii. Definitely check out the links below to connect with her if you are picking up what she's putting down. Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. I love the intro. Thank you, Olivia. It's so beautiful to be here. Awesome. So let's, let's dive in. I don't, my listeners know, I don't do surface level. I definitely get the tea. Um, I also know that my listeners are high performers. They Mm -hmm. are ones that are juggling lots of hats and doing lots of things. And they come here for the nitty gritty truth in everything. So I want to start first with how you got started. I want to I want to hear about your story and I'll just ask questions free flowingly. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so much of what you just shared is so much of what just as women, let alone women, but mothers, we have to endure, right? All right. So what was your question? So how did you get started in doing yes. this work? All right. Well, I have this thing, Olivia. I have a deep seeking heart and everything that I do in my life and embark on for myself and to gift others, being a healer and a giver, I like to become really good at it for myself. So whether it's going to be traveling the world, which I did, traveled the world, became really good at it, put a backpack on, went solo, hopped through as many countries as I could for about four years. Finally met my husband, settled, and then we had children. And little did I know what this journey was going to be like, becoming a mother to little beings who needed every piece of me. So becoming a mother, my first few months, I realized, wow, this to an extent comes naturally and to so many extents does not. Like everything, it's an opportunity that I'm going to ask myself, how deep can I go so that I can do this job, this most sacred work in a profound way. I'm so aware and in tune of emotional health, Olivia, and truly living a joyful, abundant life that I know what it takes to get there. And it starts from the womb, starts from young, right? The way that we nurture these beautiful minds that enter our world, these children, how we take care of them emotionally is so important and it can't be neglected. So I went down the pathway of how can I be the best mother I possibly can be for my children, which is a unique journey. And that took me down reading all the books, all the parenting courses, you know, all this stuff. But here was my awakening. All that stuff stays in the head. All the information stays up here and it only serves a purpose to a certain depth. If we are not embodying it, which is where somatic embodiment is going to come in. If we aren't embodying all this information that we know, and I realized that pretty quickly, I went, wow, I've read all the books. I know everything. Why am I still struggling with these huge, intense emotions that are coming up in this parenthood journey? The loneliness, the frustration, the rage, the guilt, the infuriation. And 
what do I do with these emotions? I know that there's more that can be done to process them, to release them, and to fully embody there's something to be done. So I really went down the journey of somatically embodying my emotions through breath, through movement, and through actually for the first time in my life, having been raised in a family where the matriarchal generational lineage is not one that is very honestly felt. Feelings are not very felt in my family lineage, where the feelings aren't felt. So my granny, my mom, as wonderful as they are, it's very common to repress feelings. I went, I'm not going to repress feelings. I need to learn to feel so I can be there for my children. And I learned to feel by taking this beautiful parenting journey through the Jai Institute of Parenting, which is a profound parenting institute currently out there focused on conscious parenting in the deepest ways, the real embodiment of everything that it takes to show up as a parent raising little beings. And I studied through Jai, went and did their master training certification. I'm still very involved with Jai and I continue to walk this deep journey of what it means to, and here's the kicker, to be a powerful mother and to stay in tune and in touch with who I am aside from being a mother, a woman, a powerful woman, a creator to liberate my soul and break generational cycles that keep me stuck, not just as a mother, but as a woman and combining those journeys through the somatic feeling and release and embracing of all that it means and all that comes with being a mother, which we're just never quite prepared for. That's where the magic begins for me. Awesome. Uh, Okay. I've been taking notes and I've got a few things I'm going to touch back on. So when it comes to breath work and movement, I find that to be extremely important in my everyday life. I live a very, very crazy life. I have a seven month old baby I manage a fine dining restaurant. I have this podcast. I have a Christ-centered brand. I've got a few other things that I do. I I identify as a serial entrepreneur. So all of those things in the middle of transition of life, I, I will say this. I did challenge myself to increase my stress capacity this year. So I do find that breath work and movement are extremely important. Um, most people don't try to increase their stress capacity. Most people don't even think about that. Most people hide and don't face it. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of feelings felt and and not repressing it. But you know what? Repression of feelings is definitely very generational. Regardless of where you're from, generationally, our parents, our parents' parents, and our parents' parents' parents didn't have the space to sit there and feel their emotions. They, they, that wasn't just a convenience. You know, we live in the world of technology and convenience. We, we don't have to wait a month and a half to get a letter back from somebody, you know, to even Mm -hmm. communicate. We, a lot Mm -hmm. of times they've worked through a lot of things and there was general images putting out, put out of what was right. There wasn't Mm -hmm. as much individuality, but at the same time, I don't think that we hear those stories. 
mm-hmm. because that I don't I don't think that those things are actually as talked about. But you'll you'll see, and like for instance, the Tao, you'll hear about you know how to live life. You know, there's a lot of different modalities mm-hmm. when it comes to these things that have been around for years. So I think that people have been doing it. It's just not as common or mainstream for the generations that we have yeah. worked in. But I would love for you to give some tips as far as I love, there's so many different breath work um, things that people do. So what are some of your favorites? Mm-hmm. Before I go into the exact favorites, I want to touch on exactly what you just shared, which yeah, increasing our stress, super cool point, really phenomenal because you're right. We're creatures of comfort and with the convenience we live in, that's not the easiest thing to choose. Why would we, why would we go and increase our stress tolerance if we could just veg on the couch or get a dopamine hit from anywhere that we want to these cell phones we have, Mm -hmm. the, the most amazing space to hide in, right? And the most detrimental space to hide in. Anyway, that goes back, Olivia, right into feelings. It's the same with stress response. Anything difficult mm. is where we as human beings struggle to actually face where that is, where the breakthrough lies, right? It's the same cycle of everything that we've done that's always been the same is going to keep us always the same. So if we're here to expand and get big and be that 0.2% that actually breaks through into creating our dream life, into, into reaching our goals, however you want to word it, that takes the difficult but juicy and beautiful work of not doing the same thing over and over again. And guess what? This is where somatic is so powerful. That feels very unsafe to our nervous systems. Mm-hmm. Doing something that we haven't done for our whole lives feels literally unsafe. The nervous system rings the alarm bells going, oh my gosh, don't do that. That's dangerous. And that is how we stay stuck in old cycles because we actually don't have the awareness, which once we do have is almost enough to tip us over the edge. The awareness of, wait, I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable and scared right now in increasing my stress tolerance or whatever it might be. So I took a note here too. Yes. So the generational repression of feeling the emotions is huge. It's because what we're fed culturally, Olivia, is so filtered. Like you mentioned, there's so much people have always been feeling, but what we've been exposed to through the media, through schools, through books, have it's very filtered. Mm-hmm. And that which has been filtered to us has been the do not feel, the suck it up, the be strong, the lock it and throw the key away, never go back in there, especially for men. That's a whole different topic. But even as women, to feel as kids, we were shut down. And now here's what's important to mention. Feeling is so primal. It's literally like breath. It's part of being a human being. It's not just something that we do or that happens to us. We feel because we're alive. If we aren't alive, we won't be feeling. And people who stop feeling, who go numb, it's a very sad, dark story there, right? We feel to be alive. And so when we're encouraged not to feel by our parents, what is triggered is the abandonment wound, the acceptance wound of the child, of the human being's heart. We all have it as adults. It's why still we're afraid to feel if we never learned how to, because we feel so, we feel like we're going to be abandoned and left to die. That's what we primarily process feeling as if we've never been able to do it. And that is an incredibly tough thing to overcome. It's so possible. 
and we're going to go into the breath work now that you asked about and stuff, but this is the meat that I don't want to leave out. This stuff is the basis of the understanding of why we even do the breath work, why we have these practices to increase our stress tolerance and learn how to feel all over again. So regarding breath work, there's so much out there, like everything. And I want to start with this. It's so interesting how we don't consider the breath. Everywhere in the media, Olivia, we are told to diet and watch what we eat and exercise and move our bodies and sleep. No one enough talks about breath. Whereas we could go years without exercise. We could go two months without food and survive. We could go two weeks without water. We could go sleep is kind of up there, but breath, we cannot go longer than pretty much two minutes and we're, we're not living. This is huge. This is our breath. Mm -hmm. And so many of us aren't breathing properly, number one. We're not breathing diaphragmatically, which is how the human body's designed to breathe. We're breathing shallow, but more than that, we're actually stressing our bodies in a negative way by over-breathing. We're breathing too much. We're not slowing down. We're actually taking in too much and setting off the stress signal, the fight or flight response in our bodies to be hypervigilant by the way that we're breathing. Through our breath, we send our bodies into a stress mode, a fight or flight state, which triggers things to not take care of the higher orders of the prefrontal cortex, like thinking about the future and actively being calm and creating the life that we really long for. I'm taking a breath right now. It feels timely. But when we're breathing fast and we're essentially subconsciously telling our bodies to be alert, be on the lookout, race the heart, put the blood in the external limbs, don't take care of the organs so much. That's not a healthy place to be. And so <clears throat> that's where breath work, as you said, you dabbled in. So I'm sure you're familiar with this. It comes down to retraining the body to breathe, number one, diaphragmatically. So if you put your two hands on your chest and your belly and you breathe in, you take a deep breath in. If your chest is raising first, which so many people is, are, we're breathing incorrectly. We breathe into the belly first. The belly raises, then the diaphragm and the back because the lungs are in the back of the body. And we're ought to breathe like Niraj, the breath master whose work I really enjoy, says, breathe, and like he got it from Lao Tzu, like Lao Tzu says, breathe like you're not breathing at all. Be so aware and tune in control of your breath and how it's flowing in and out of you that it's like this peaceful, conscious river that we become aware of the more that we practice. It's my favorite technique, if I have to. I like dabbling in everything. I like to be, I don't like to be closed off to certain techniques, but I enjoy the Soma breath technique by Niraj. He teaches this. He's coined the term, the Soma breath technique. And this goes from way back when to the way that breath was used to create this unstoppable, blissful chi energy within us. That if we did this upon waking and whenever we needed a calming, natural substance or when we needed to help help falling asleep or whatever an energy boost 
we had access through our breath. It's this pharmaceutical toolkit, the breath, and different ways that we use it. The Soma breath technique is really awesome. He just goes into, he combines actually breath with music and beats to create this meditative experience that I find so powerful because I relate really to music. Mm -hmm. So I like combining the breath with the music and breathing in this rhythmic way, which Mm -hmm. everything in nature is, it's rhythmic. And so many of us are not breathing rhythmically. And then when we realize how staggered or how desperate our breathing is, it's the greatest clue into our health, into our state of stress, our actual physical state. You know, when the body is feeling psychologically being told to be in a more stressful state, we're holding on to weight that we just don't need to hold on to. We're holding on to toxic energy through our thoughts and mind. That's why we're breathing short, that we just don't need to. So through the breath, we begin the let go process of all that we don't need to be carrying. You know, you, this is just a thought that came to my mind, Nicole, but when we had to all wear masks, I had a real big problem with that because of it shortening the breaths that you take in and Mm. causing people to be in automatically in a more tense, Mm. heightened stress state simply mm-hmm. from wearing the mask because they can't really can't breathe like that I love that you said how our breath is a pharmaceutical tool crit kit that that's that's super cool I'm gonna look into the solo somo breath technique as well and with and with the music I understand that it opens up different chakras you know mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. you feel the different areas of your body and you open yeah the different frequencies you feel it Mm -hmm. so much more to really embody the moment and be present so I Mm -hmm. I really I I haven't heard of that one specifically but I and with you explaining it I understand exactly what it does from your explanation I know that there's a deeper dive into that but I'm definitely interested in looking into that and you're so right. We don't talk enough about that. That's why I wanted to talk about it because I understand the importance this breath work. I understand how we can get to it. It's, it helps so much when you notice that you're starting to get triggered. So many people when yes. it comes to the, you know, knowing what their resting state is, knowing what their calm mm-hmm. state is. When you start to notice, okay, this is a thing. That's an indication of something that you might need to work on of a repressed emotion. So when you start to feel these triggers, what do you say, You how do you actually address them? This is awesome. This is my forte. I love this stuff. Triggers, right? Because children, especially being a mom, the triggers that we're faced with on a daily basis, that is our medicine. You know, what are we going to do with those things? So the trigger, I'm going to bring in the term that's coming to mind or the notion of a thermometer, because in my training, this was really profound to me, where we have this internal thermometer and we have these signals going off in our bodies during a trigger state that most of us, most of the time, are not in tune with, which is why we go from suddenly triggered and we don't, you know, it's such a natural unconscious, I say this with love and non-judgment, because I know how, how I know this journey of, of true 
embodied feeling and release and working through triggers. And it's tough stuff. So I have deep compassion. So we, we have this, this thermometer and we get triggered and most of us don't question, wait, what's even going on? We just think it is what it is in the moment. Like, oh, I, that's really irritating or that's infuriating, but we don't dig deeper. And then before we know it, the thermometer has gone up from green, yellow, orange, red, and we are, we've what Daniel Siegel calls, I think it's, he called it flipped our tap, basically our, our flap of here just went ding on the brain, the frontal lobe, and now we are primal, we're in animal mode. We cannot think straight. We cannot use our higher brain because we're in fight or flight, which means the brain is saying, flee, run, or fight, protect yourself. You're being attacked by a great lion, even though it's just your two-year-old or your spouse or politics, anything, right? And so when we become aware of our bodies, this is the somatics, when we become aware, and I do want to preface with, it's hard to feel for people, important to mention, because when I work with my clients, I let them know, hey, we're going to start this process slowly. I know feeling can feel so scary, so don't overwhelm your nervous system. Sometimes feeling is so scary for people that they go into panic. Mm -hmm. When they go, whoa, wait, me, this body in this space right now, right here, separate from everything, I am feeling a certain feeling. My heart is racing. My palms are sweating. My breath is short. I'm blinking hyper fast. Oh my goodness, what is going on? And we become aware and the trigger is communicating something with us. And the way that our beautiful human bodies are designed is to communicate with us physically. So that's why we have the breath will usually be the first thing in a trigger to start going short and staggered. You know, and if we're aware of that, we can go, hmm, I'm triggered right now. So what I always say to my clients is in that moment of trigger, it's not the right space to investigate just yet, but the awareness is all that is required. So you go, okay, I am triggered. And you use your words to label, because like Daniel Siegel also says, you name it to tame it. The brain, we have, language is so powerful for the human being. So when we name what's going on, we can just even say, in the beginning when I learned to feel, I would say, I feel unsupported right now. I feel alone. I feel so overwhelmed and tired. I feel exhausted. My hands are shaking. I need rest. Just saying that as an example brings me into my body. Then I can go, okay, there is something calling out that wants to be dealt with. That's what triggers are. They're messengers going, there is something in here. Sometimes it's super deep from childhood. Sometimes it's generations deep, like honestly, 700 years of lineage deep, which is another powerful, interesting topic. And sometimes it really is just the truth that we're moms and we're tired and we're underslept and we are woken up all night and our bodies are recovering and our hormones are erratic. And that is powerful in and of itself. But either way, becoming aware through what our bodies are telling us is the key to staying in a healthy nervous system state 
and then taking action from there. So we can go, okay, when I'm calm, and then you learn how to take yourself off the ledge of a trigger. When you know your thermometer is rising, you become aware of the body and you go, okay, now we each have a beautiful job of figuring out, and we're all so unique, what calming techniques, what self-soothing mechanisms work for us individually. We can tone the vagus nerve through dipping our hands in ice-cold water or humming. We can actually haven ourselves, which means just start rubbing our bodies like somebody's taking care of us and soothing us, soft, gentle strokes to trigger the reflex of, you know, calm, relaxation, parasympathetic. We can actually, I say to moms, take self-regulation seriously. Don't mess around with it. Take it seriously, which means when you're triggered, say to yourself, I'm putting my boxing gloves on and I'm doing this thing, which means whatever I need right now. And obviously you want to rather be in a calm, regulated state when we plan this toolkit so that we can bring out these tools from a space of consciousness when we're triggered. But for me, it looks like this, Olivia. I might be triggered. Say the five-year-old is doing something I've asked her 20 times not to and the baby's screaming and normal just life, you know. I go, okay, I'm my thermometer's rising. I need to do my self-care. So I might lay on the ground right there and then. Lay on the ground, on the kitchen floor, in a fetal position, the cold floor, hold myself and just repeat a mantra. I am okay. This moment will pass. I have the ability to be with what I'm feeling right now. I am safe. And I might rock or I might go, okay, I feel a little better. I'm just going to go get some ice from the fridge and literally put in a bowl with some water and splash it over my face. I take regulation seriously because when we do that, we take back beautiful control and we show our vulnerable, honest side to our children, which in and of itself is healing, Olivia. Feeling publicly like that in front of our children or spouse or best friend if someone's there, it's shunned upon in a lot of society. And that's the bizarre thing. Why? It should be normal to feel, honestly. It should be normal to be with friends or a partner and go, Sorry, love. Right now, I can feel that I'm triggered. I love you. And for me to continue this conversation is going to be harmful. So I've got to take care of myself. Give me a second. I'm just going to lay on the ground. I'm going to rock myself and hold myself. That should be normal. That's healthy emotional expression. From what I've gathered, I've, I've got a question for you that just came to mind that I, I feel like you'd be a great person to answer. What is the balance between speaking what you want into existence and naming it and claiming it? Do you want to rephrase that? So are we, are we, are we diverting topics now into more of manifestation? Well, because a lot of the time, like for for instance myself like this is a question for me like whenever i'm stressed out i'll like take a moment okay i can't talk right now like and i personally i do not say things when i'm pissed off because i understand the power of our words and i can mm-hmm. say some things that i really don't want mm-hmm. to happen 
You know what I'm saying? And it's not necessarily naming the emotion and claiming it. But I also understand that when I say that I'm tired, I feel more tired. When I say that I'm stressed, I feel more stressed. When I say I'm depressed, I'm in that state longer. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. Yes. So I do want to emphasize it's name it to tame it. Oh, name name it to tame it. (laughs) Very important distinction because... That's why I thought we were going down manifestation, name it to claim it. So name it to tame it. And there's a lot of brain science behind this with Daniel Siegel. If you just do his research, literally type in Google name it to tame it, a lot will come up. But here's the difference. And here's what's powerful. When it comes to, there's the fine line, Olivia, between acknowledging an emotion and dwelling on it. Mm -hmm. And this is huge because, When we are going something, going through something, to not acknowledge it would be lying to ourselves. And our brains Mm -hmm. are much smarter than that. Mm -hmm. However, the magic happens and the power lies where we make a conscious choice to process and move through that experience with a wise mind of, okay, what is this showing me? And now what is my next action? Where to from here? And the victim seat, and I say this with respect and love, because victimhood is so normal for us. I know it's a really charged term, but I want to decharge it because it's actually so much beauty lies beneath victimhood, the notion of victimhood. It just essentially means blame, blaming, giving the power away which we've become accustomed to doing from the schooling system onwards, 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 being raised as children to rather be seen and not heard and all this stuff. Just self-responsibility, tough work. So we don't even realize how often we're in the victim seat of, I, this is happening to me because of that scenario, that politician, that person, my child, my spouse. And that doesn't serve us because That takes us out of the seat of power where if we're saying and subconsciously blaming somebody else for something, we have no ability to do anything about it. But if we go, okay, here's what's happening and here's where I'm going because I am in control of the way that I feel. Now we're human. We're not robots, which means we're going to feel some things that we aren't necessarily choosing to feel, but we have the choice as to what we're going to do with that feeling, how we're going to process that feeling, how we're going to move through and be grateful for what that feeling is communicating to us. And when I say feeling, I mean all feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm big about this one because yet again, it's a subconscious cultural narrative to shun certain feelings like anger. Oh, don't you show anger. If you show anger, you have a lack of self-control. You have some demons. You are an unsophisticated woman if you show your rage. And oh my goodness, is that a huge fault? And why we repress so much and then release these emotions through dangerous, toxic ways. Because we were never taught how to express anger in healthy ways how to be unafraid to show it in healthy ways. And that's a whole nother thing that I'm very passionate about is anger. The beauty that anger comes. It's one of the most, it's one of the six primal emotions that we have. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most powerful emotions. Anger is communicating so much to us. A need that needs to be met. A boundary that needs to be laid down. 
yeah validation that is that we are deserving of that anger if we just sit with it and go okay and we learn how to feel somatically because anger is a ooh, charged emotion so that's when we go to do our self-care our self-regulation take care of ourselves somatically release and process it and then not to dwell on it mm-hmm. go and take and receive the message it's given us and move forward from there so the difference olivia is acknowledging and using the power of the verbal word and language to just make sense for our human brains of what's happening in our bodies and then to go okay where to from here what am i going to do what's next i'm making a choice to go okay i've acknowledged it and i don't want to stay there being there in that vibration of that emotion is not going to get me to where i want to go in my relationship in my life in my career with my body so why would i stay there you know a little dose of tough tough self love in a respectful way to ourselves as well as we move from victimhood into radical self responsibility radical self empowerment i you we always have power over everything that we feel i'm also one of those nicole that i'm like every emotion is temporary mm-hmm. and i mean i i was saying that not to say that i don't you know acknowledge them or mm-hmm. allow myself to feel but it with and i had it it's funny i quoted him right but then when i wrote the question i did it wrong the name it to tame it but i i love that you went into that because it's it's important to acknowledge your feelings mm-hmm. let them go in a healthy way mm-hmm. that that is serving to you and to your future self but mm-hmm. because i'm so against you know toxic positivity the mm-hmm. toxic, you know and and but which you are too with the suppressed emotions because yep. when you don't acknowledge anger that it's such a strong exactly emotion that everybody feels you know right. like my um my son it's so funny he'll get so angry when he doesn't have food like mm-hmm. it's it's just like he wants it and he wants it now and mm-hmm. i think that's you know just the stage and if I had not accepted that that is how he communicates. If I had not done the work to be like, all right, like this kid is going to cry because that's how they communicate with us. Mm-hmm. You know, if, and not allow for that to trigger me, not for me to think like I'm doing something wrong. Like, no, nah, this kid is going to, like, that's just how he communicates. He's, he doesn't know how to speak words. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, you just hit on something so powerful because it goes into everything regarding processing of emotion and feeling which is what are we believing subconsciously about what is happening mhm and what you just shared you said well here's my understanding and this understanding empowers me to see to truly see and to tolerate the emotions and to validate and so often we so often we have these narratives running since childhood they run and we never quite pinpoint oh my gosh it's that narrative that i'm believing about certain feelings about certain expressions of feelings that are keeping me stuck from experiencing them yeah it's huge even with ourselves we do it we tell ourselves things about what certain things mean and then we find ourselves feeling something or doing something and then going into a guilt and shame cycle and we don't realize wait it's because i'm believing 
so toxically and harmfully about what I just experienced. Now, let me go into that. Let me rewrite that whole belief system. Let me rewrite mm -hmm. that narrative. Let me be a brave soul to go, no, I will change the trajectory of my life by what I feed my brain. Cognitive bias, Olivia. The most That's, incredible thing. I just wrote that down. I live. <laughs> yeah. We're in sync. Because that's it's it's such a thing. That and you have to realize when you're telling yourself a story about something. And and when we're in that victimhood state, we constantly we make up new stuff. We make up a whole <laughs> new thing. Well, the story because everybody has different perspectives. So yes. I'll for I'll give an example. The other day I was a, a couple of months back, I was in my feelings about a conversation I had with my mother because I'm pretty sure she's on the spectrum of ADHD. I'm almost completely positive. Well, with that, they have a problem being present. They have a problem. And I'm not saying they as everybody, like I, I deal with this too, but being able to, if they, if you don't address these things about yourself, if you just kind of living in la la land, how that affects relationships is just one of the side effects of that, you know? And instead of me taking it personally, like my mom doesn't like me, like it was what I, the story I was telling myself was, yes, my mother loves me, but she doesn't like me. Like she doesn't ever pay attention. She's no, nah, that's just literally how she's wired. Like she's just wired to be in her own world, doing her own thing. And I, it's not me trying to change her into anything else is not truly loving her for the person she is. I have to accept the way that she is and understand where my boundaries lie and where my needs are not going to be met from her in certain areas. That's a thing that I'm going to have to deal with, but I can't me telling myself the story ain't going to help me get there. You know? Yes. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that. That's huge because I had a similar experience with my mom and our healing journey. And it's this, it's this dangerous thing that we do where we subconsciously expect another person to have to do certain things in order for us to heal. And I went through that. There was a lot of childhood neglect in my childhood and just uh, emotional neglect, lack of emotional attunement and attention and all of that. And a deep sense of emotional childlikeness within my mother with respect i love her she's an amazing human being but she's not able to access certain parts of herself because of never accessing them from young and literally i got that notion that term because she said this to me once when i attempted to communicate with her and heal and work through stuff on a part of my healing journey and she just said oh how dare you bring your childhood childhood up that is so self-centered just lock the box throw the key away and never go back there again because that's the way that she lives her life. So that gave me great insight. And then, Olivia, this was whatever, a few years ago, when I hit me, I was with my therapist. He's a wonderful eight-year-old man who lives here on Maui. He's incredible, best friends with Ram Das and just the most gorgeous soul. And he said to me, you know, what are you needing from her? Because the truth is you might never, ever get it. Mm -hmm. And only when you accept wholeheartedly that you may that you may never have the mother you wished you had will you heal Oof. and then I began the legit let go journey of wow mourning mourning the mother mm. I never had and probably never will and becoming okay with that and loving her in spite of that yes. and 
seeing her for who she really is, even though she wasn't everything that I thought she should have been. All the stuff, man, it's so powerful. It's so powerful when we release and we just let go and we see and we love and we lay healthy boundaries down. It's important too. It's important to go, okay, like with your mom, I'm sure. Okay, now I see things in an empowering way that puts the the power in my seat of my life. However, doesn't mean I tolerate everything that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I just let it happen now. Now I lay boundaries around it. Mm-hmm. How often I let them in my space, how often I, whatever it might be, how our interactions are going to look. We get to decide that. Oh, yes. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Guys, if you, like I said in the beginning, if you like what she is putting down and you're picking it up, definitely check the links in the show notes below to her website. She is obviously very skilled in what she does. She goes and deep dives into this stuff. I did hit her with some questions and she, she did provide. So, (laughs) and I love that. I love it. Um, So thank you so much, Nicole, for your time today. It's really, really appreciated. Olivia, it's my honor. I had so much deep fun speaking with you. You are really my kind of woman with your open heart and accessibility of mind. Thank you. It's just my my joy to bring insight and liberation and self-empowerment to your listeners. That's where it's at for me. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.